You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, The Ninth Hour, is part three in the series, Agony and Victory, The Easter Story, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Thank you so much to our Heaven Bound singers so far. Uh, We have one more song we're going to enjoy before we close the service. Uh, But for uh, the next few minutes, I want to ask you to please find in your Bible, Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew 27, 45. Let's turn there as we shine a light on the most important moment of the most important day in the life of the most important person who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus. I've been preaching a countdown to Easter for the last few weeks called Agony and Victory. We've already walked with Jesus through his darkest night as he shared the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room and then prayed through his sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we, last week, watched as Jesus endured all of the agonies of his longest day. Betrayal, denial, injustice, insults, beatings, and crucifixion on that awful cross of Golgotha. Today, we're going to stop on the ninth hour. The Bible calls it the ninth hour. Hour. Here's what that means. In Jesus' world, they kept track of daily time by starting at about what we call 6 a.m. And then they began to count the hours from that beginning. And so the third hour of the day was nine in the morning. The sixth hour would have been right around noontime. And then the ninth hour would have been mid afternoon about three o'clock. The Bible says that's when Jesus died, the ninth hour. And we're going to read about it uh, beginning in verse 45, Matthew 27, 45. The Bible says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of those places in the Bible where we have preserved in Scripture the language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic, followed by the translation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 47 says, some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah. Uh, The name Elijah, they would have pronounced Eliyah. It sounds like Eli, the word for my God in Jesus' language. They totally misunderstood. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said... Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus 
cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The most important moment, the ninth hour of the most important day in the most important life that has ever been lived. Today, I want to share with you three actions that we need to understand at the ninth hour. What happened that we need to know about in the ninth hour when Jesus was on the cross? So I'm going to share those three actions with you, followed by three actions for this hour that I want to give to you as a challenge today. So the first action of the ninth hour is that Jesus is forsaken by his Father. The Bible says in verse 45 that at the sixth hour, noon, the brightest part of the day, the light of the sun was suddenly covered up with darkness. One moment the sun was shining, the next moment it was dark as if somebody had turned off a light switch. Those around the cross realized that something eerie, something supernatural was happening. That darkness continued for three hours and then As that darkness lifted, they heard Jesus say those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wording is important. That word forsaken means to be abandoned, to be deserted, to be left alone. And we need to understand today that Jesus did not use that word because he just felt forsaken. He used that word because he actually was forsaken by his father. And here is why. Although Jesus was innocent, he took responsibility when he went to the cross. He took responsibility for all of your sins, all of mine, and the sins of the whole world. And although he was innocent, when he took responsibility for all of the evil things we've done, all of the sins we've committed, all the ways we have broken the law of God, all the ways we have rebelled against God with our actions and our words and our attitudes, when Jesus took responsibility for all that we have done in the way of sin, that meant that he also had to take responsibility for the punishment that we deserve as sinners. And so although he was completely innocent, Jesus had to suffer for our sin, the punishment that we deserve as if he was guilty. Consider this statement from Habakkuk 1.13. The Bible says there, God is of purer eyes than to see evil, and he cannot look at wrong. So with that in mind, think about this. In that moment when Jesus took our sins on the cross, God the Father turned away from his Son. 
The word Jesus used was forsaken, meaning abandoned and deserted and left alone in a way that I cannot fully understand and so I can't fully explain. Somehow, the eternal bond between God the Father and God the Son was broken for those three hours of darkness. Verse 45 says, There was darkness over all the land as Jesus suffered and he was forsaken for our sins. Some have said, well, it was probably just a storm and dark clouds covered the sun. Uh, Some have said, no, it was probably a solar eclipse. But I want to submit to you today, it was a supernatural darkness. This was a God-imposed darkness. That God interrupted the natural world and darkened the sun for those three hours. Why? When God the Father turned his face from his son on the cross, when he carried our sins there, taking responsibility for all that we have done, God the Father turned his face from his son and the world temporarily lost its light. It's significant because the Bible teaches we are all born in spiritual darkness. The darkness of sin and death and judgment. Our sin separates us from God and we walk in darkness without Him. We can't escape the darkness on our own. And that's why Jesus came. He took our sins on the cross. He took our punishment. He died in the dark so that we could live in the light. Jesus was forsaken by his Father so that we would never have to be. And so the first action that we need to understand at the ninth hour is that Jesus is forsaken by his Father. The second one is this. Jesus gives up his life at the ninth hour. In verse 50, it says that Jesus yielded up his spirit. He yielded up his spirit. Think about the wording there. Yielded up means that Jesus, performing the action here, Jesus sent his spirit away. Jesus let it go. It was an act of his will. And so what we have to understand about that is that no one took Jesus' life from him. Instead, He gave up his life and he sent his spirit away from his body at a time of his own choosing. Only after he had carried our sins to the cross and completed the sacrifice of himself. And so Jesus is forsaken by his father. Jesus willingly gives up his life, and then third, the veil of the temple is torn. That's what verse 51 says. Uh, it, It says that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what does that mean? Well, the veil in the temple in Jerusalem was the most, uh, was a, 
a covering of the most special, most holy place called the Holy of Holies. That place represented where God's presence was. And a veil hung to separate and to conceal the Holy of Holies. That veil was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 5 inches thick. It was tightly woven, elaborately decorated. And only the high priest could push that veil back and go behind it into the Holy of Holies. And he was only allowed to do it once a year. But when Jesus died on the cross to remove our sins and to make it possible for us to come into the presence of God in a relationship with Him, what happened? The hand of God ripped that massive veil from top to bottom because Jesus had opened up access for us into God's presence for everyone who believes. The veil was no longer necessary. Now, as we believe in Jesus, we can come into the very presence of God and commune with Him and be in relationship with Him. So at the ninth hour... Jesus is forsaken by his father. He gives up his life. He opens up access to the presence of God when that veil is torn. And because of what Jesus did at the ninth hour on the cross, we can have hope. When there are things that grieve us and sadden us and perplex us, And confuse us like tornadoes and senseless deaths and shootings in Nashville and diagnoses of cancer and uh, problems at work and family difficulties and divorce courts and all of these things. We can have hope in all of those dark hours of our lives because of what Jesus suffered when he went to the cross and what he did at the ninth hour. Because of what he did on the cross in the ninth hour, we can have hope in every hour of our lives, good or bad. So based on that, I want to offer to you as a challenge and a commitment, three actions for this hour. And I I find these in the the next few verses. The first one is this. I want to challenge you to believe in Jesus, to believe in Jesus in this hour. Uh, Verse 54 says, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, in that moment, The soldiers who had crucified Jesus and were guarding his body. In that moment, seeing what they saw, they made a decision about Jesus. And their decision was, truly, this was the Son of God. I don't want to read too much into that, but it sounds to me like they believed in him. After seeing all that they saw. 
hearing what they'd heard about his life, seeing how he was persecuted and insulted and mocked on the cross and the grace with which he died and how he gave up his spirit in a way they'd never seen done before. They made the decision, this is the Son of God. They believed in him. And so I'm going to ask you, how about you? Have you made up your mind about Jesus? Seeing what he went through, hearing about how he lived and how he died and how he loves you and how he took your sin. Have you, have you made up your mind about Jesus? I'm going to challenge you to put your faith in him. Believe in Jesus. And what we are promised when we do that is that our sins are removed We're brought into the presence of God forever, and we are saved. Here's the problem I see with a lot of people in church, is that you've never yet made up your mind who Jesus really is in your life. And so the action that I'm going to call you to today is to believe in Him. Today, in this hour. The second action is to follow Jesus. To believe in Him, but then to follow Him. Uh, We read about that in verse 55, the next verse. Many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to Him, were there looking on from afar. Probably as close as they could get. Among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. The Bible says these women from Galilee who had been faithful to Jesus were known as his followers. That is, they they were close to him. Wherever he went, they were not far behind. They wanted to be close to hear him, to learn from him, to know him. And the Bible says they ministered to Jesus. We know that they uh, provided for him financially and and, and. met those needs for, for food and, and shelter. And they were known as those who served Jesus and followed Jesus. And here they are at the end, heartbroken, looking on as he dies. So the question for us is, are we known as followers of Jesus? In other words, if someone observed your life, would they say, you know what? This is a person without a doubt who follows Jesus with all their heart. If someone followed you around for a few weeks, would they reach that conclusion? This is a person who follows Jesus and they serve him. They're ministering to him. Are you following Jesus? Believe him. Follow him. And then third, Stand up for Jesus. Uh, In verse 57, the Bible says, Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Now, if you compare this to the other Gospels, what we find out is that Joseph of Arimathea was a man who was a part of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And yet, 
He had become a disciple of Jesus. The Bible says he was a secret disciple. And, and Joseph did not cast his vote to condemn Jesus. He didn't go along with the rest. He was his secret disciple. And it says, This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. So Joseph, who'd been a secret disciple, goes and he gets the body of Jesus and he prepares it for burial and he places his body in his own tomb. And so if Joseph was a secret disciple before, he's not anymore. The secret is out. He put himself at risk standing up for Jesus in this way. And so that leads me to this last question. How about you? In this culture in which we live, it's easy to become one of those secret disciples. I'm just going to keep it to myself. If I'm called upon to do something that's going to out me as a Christian, well, it might cost me something. I might be insulted or mocked or made fun of or... I might lose out on something that I want if I really take a stand for Jesus. But here's what this is calling us to today. God's Word is calling us to stand up and be counted for Him. And so three actions for this hour. Believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, and stand up for Jesus. Before we hear this last song and just... Look forward to Easter and celebrate once more together. Uh, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Let's respond to God's word today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel story that our choir has sung about this morning. That we've just read about. What happened at the ninth hour so that we could be saved. So that we could have hope. Lord, I I pray that if there's someone here today who has never before believed in Jesus, Lord, I pray that right now they they would just be calling on you. I pray you draw them to yourself, that they begin to call on you. Jesus, save me now. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, save me. And Lord, for all those who are making that decision now, I thank you for your grace at work, for your forgiveness, for your gift of salvation and eternal life. Lord, I pray for people like me who made that decision long ago. But we find ourselves many times where Joseph of Arimathea was. 
Do I keep my faith a secret? Or do I take my stand as a follower of Jesus? God, give us grace to stand up proudly for Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.